Gracious Almighty God, we praise you. And we thank you, O God, for you have spoken. We thank you, O God, that in you is life, eternal life. And you have revealed it to us through your word. And we thank you, O God, for your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, that he is the sum and substance of all your word. And we pray that as we look at these words that Jesus spoke, that you would teach us truths, teach us doctrines, Lord, not just to know in our heads, but truths, O Lord, that we can live out in our lives and treasure in our hearts. We pray, precious God, that you would be with us this morning, wherever we are, be present with us by your Spirit, and that you would help us to love you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll be reading, as I said, from Luke chapter 12, 13 uh, to 21. Someone in the crowd said to him, this is Jesus, said to him, Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain man, certain rich man, produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. This is God's holy word. Well, we'll be looking at this parable that Jesus told this morning, the parable of the rich fool. And I've entitled this sermon, The Folly of Greed. Because if you notice as we're reading through this parable, it's all about greed. And the thing is, this whole world is intoxicated with money. Money, money, money. We have lists of the richest men and women in the world, the, the, the most successful people in the world. We love to hear stories about how they went from absolutely nothing in poverty, maybe selling things out of their garage to become the greatest and the most successful and the richest in the world. How did they do it? What are the secrets of their success? As the famous quote goes, money makes the world go round. And our whole lives seem to be attached to it in some way. We need it to survive. It impacts our lives, whether helpfully or not, whether we have heaps of it or not much of it at all. And out of all the things that create stress and needless anxiety, finances, money is one of the greatest of these things. And in the section after our passage today, if you 
Even just cast your eyes down there. Jesus warns his disciples about this very thing. Anxiety caused by the things of this life, about what we'll eat and what we'll uh, drink, what our life is, what we'll wear. And all of this is intimately connected with money. But we will see rightly this morning and wrongly how to view money. Well, in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, which I preached recently, Jesus had illustrated some similar points, but a different point. That there's a great separation between, yes, sometimes in this life, the rich and the poor, but the ultimate separation is in the life to come, between those who are in Christ and those who are outside of Christ. But in this parable, even though Jesus touches on some similar themes, he has this main point in view. We must be rich towards God, And not greedy for gain in the world. We must be rich towards God and not greedy for gain in this world. And as we go through this passage, uh, we will be looking first at the greed condemned, then the greed illustrated, and then the greed replaced. But have a look with me first, the greed condemned from verses 13 to 15. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And in this passage, Jesus had been talking to his close disciples. Maybe not just the twelve but certainly not absolutely everyone. And if you have a look at verse 1 of this chapter, it says, Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying... And so if you get this picture that, that Jesus is, is hidden here in the center and that his, his kind of closest disciples are here and then, then the other disciples that are truly kind of following Jesus here... but. Beyond that, there were great crowds. In fact, it even, uh, Luke even, even says there are many thousands, so much so that they're trampling one another. That's a lot of people. And yet Jesus speaks to his closer disciples. And if you've ever been around thousands of people in a space that they all want to be in, it's tight, it's cramped, it might be uncomfortable. You're trying to push past everyone else. In fact, as it says, they're trying to trample one another. It's ridiculous. And yet Jesus has a message that he's speaking to his closer disciples. In fact, in verse 4, he calls them friends. For he desires to tell them many things, important things, spiritual matters. And it's while Jesus is telling them important things about watching out for false teaching of the Pharisees, about fearing God above man and acknowledging Jesus, even though they will get Uh, They will suffer persecution. Suddenly a man interjects something into the midst of this. Something that is totally unrelated to what Jesus is saying. Totally, totally unrelated to, to the spiritual deep concerns that Jesus brings up. Because he doesn't even touch on what Jesus is saying. When a teacher is teaching very important things, things that matter, and when someone interrupts them with something trivial, unrelated, It's rude. But it's even worse if the person you interrupt 
And the person whose train of thought you break is Jesus, who deserves to be listened to, for he was truly divine. He was God. He was also the great prophet promised by God. He was the rabbi of his disciples. And he was declared by God as his beloved son, with whom he was well pleased. And as God himself said, listen to him. If there's anyone on earth, anyone on this earth who must be listened to, it's Jesus. And yet this man breaks into the, the pattern of Jesus' teaching. As John MacArthur says, this man was indifferent to the profound spiritual truths which the Lord was communicating and eager only to fulfill his own selfish desires. Driven by his crass materialism and growing tired of waiting impatiently for Jesus to finish, he interrupted him. Close quote. And yet, isn't our Lord amazing? He doesn't even break his stride. Even though this man interjects with something totally unrelated, Jesus then, for, uh, then therefore uses that to teach even greater uh, truths, even more truths, I should say, about the Christian life and to warn his disciples about something else that was important. What does this man say? Verse 13, he says, Teacher, and at least he uses a title of respect, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. In the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 21.17, the firstborn son is to be given an inheritance, in fact, a double portion of all that the father has. It was usually the sons who inherited from the father, and the firstborn son got a double portion. So if there were three sons, the eldest son would get a double portion, so the father would divide it into four and give two out of four to the firstborn son. But every son, regardless of whether he was firstborn or not, was to get his fair share of the inheritance. And we see in Genesis 25 when Esau comes in exhausted from the field and plops himself down and, and Jacob is, is making a stew. Esau is so desperate some, for some of the stew that he sells his birthright. That's the double portion, his inheritance that he, that he just despises. And the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 12 picks this up and speaks negatively for Esau uh, for doing this. So was it wrong for this man in Luke 12 to, to, to want his share of inheritance, whether he was firstborn or not? No, it wasn't wrong, not completely. Maybe he did want justice and fairness for being defrauded by his brother. But maybe he just wanted Jesus to render a decision in his favour at the expense of his brother. And we see that Jesus reads this, the intentions and the thoughts of this man's heart. And so presumably this is what the man wants. But at this time, when the, uh, in this time in this first century Palestine uh, with Jews, cases in dispute were often settled by rabbis. And he calls Jesus a, a teacher, a rabbi. But Jesus refused to be drawn into legal haggling about this dispute between brothers. He hadn't come for that reason, to settle family disputes and squabbles over inheritance. No. Jesus had come to be a different judge. He had come to be a judge of all the earth. 
judging and ruling all of creation, and in particular over mankind in regard to spiritual matters. In John 9.39, Jesus said, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Indeed, those who do not see by the world's standards, the sinners and the tax collectors would see, many of them, spiritually. But those who are wise in the ways of the world, like the, the Pharisees, would not see Jesus. And this man was evidencing this judgment of Jesus. For when he spoke, he revealed that he, even though he thought he could see, he was hardened in his sin and blindness. And this is the judgment that Jesus says in John 9.39, that this man was confirmed in his sin and blindness. In John 5.22-24, Jesus says, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. Whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. For indeed, Jesus, as the Scriptures, as the rest of the Scriptures testify as well, there's going to be one judge, and that's Jesus. For the Bible says that God has appointed a judge of all the earth, and he would judge the nations in, in righteousness by one man whom he's appointed. And he's given assurance to us all of this by raising him from the dead. This is Jesus. For indeed, Jesus' judgments were not on family disputes, but on an eternal dispute between God and man. Not on family disputes, but on an eternal dispute between God and man. And there's a sure outcome for that dispute, because God always wins. Jesus' judgment is not sharing an earthly inheritance between brothers, but he came that men might have an heavenly inheritance, eternal life with him. Not a petty squabble about what we'll get in this life, but a heavenly inheritance. But all of this just went whoosh over this man's head. He had no idea. All he could think about was his material gain. And greed manifested itself clearly in this man's heart. And Jesus discerned these intentions of the man's heart. Have a look at verse 15. Jesus says, watch out. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. When Jesus tells you to watch out, you watch out. You beware. When he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear, you, you hear, you listen up. When Jesus says, behold, you, you look. And the disciples are to watch out, they're to look out for something. What for? Well, first Jesus intensifies it. He says, be on your guard. And this word guard is the same word used for actual guards when they were they're guarding uh, the Apostle Paul, when they were uh, guarding something else. It's the idea of protecting for the sake of uh, preserving or keeping. And when someone guards something, there is an intense 
scrutiny, intense focus and concentration. And you have a duty to guard uh, uh, against something here. Not, not guard uh, something like we're to guard our heart, but we're to watch out for and, and guard against something. And what are we to watch out for? What are we to guard against? Well, there it says all kinds of greed. And we're going to see in the next point all the manifestations of these kinds of greed. But the word greed there is a desire for advantage, a covetousness, a grasping at something. That's what the word means. And we're to watch out for this. We're to guard uh, guard against this, this insatiable desire for more and more. A lack of contentment with what we have. And 1 Timothy 6 verse 9 says, Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people in to ruin and destruction. This is what Jesus is getting at with this parable. As Jesus himself says, a man's life does not consist in his abundance of possessions. This means that our happiness and comfort do not depend upon having great wealth in this world. Our happiness and our comfort do not depend on having great wealth in this world. And secondly, our life is not to be lived with gaining possessions as our primary pursuit. And I want to ask you, what is your life all about? What is your life about? Why are you here in this life, in this world? What are your goals in your day-to-day life? What are your ambitions, your dreams? And if you're a worker, why are you working? Why do you work hard at your job? And if you're a parent, what is it you want for your children? What do you ultimately want in life? And if your answer is ultimately to earn more money, to get a promotion to live a a, a comfortable life, provide for your children to have the life you didn't, or to make sure your children have the things that other kids have, to make sure your children have the the best education possible so that they can get a good job, so they, they can have a comfortable life, whether you do or not. Or maybe it's you can get enough money so you can have a side hobby because you just you, you want to have a side hobby. Or so that you can live in the neighborhood that you want to live in or have the house that you've always coveted, I mean wanted. What is this? What is this? If we're ultimately striving for this, this is vanity. This is nothingness. And so often we're infected with affluenza, as the term goes. Affluenza. Now, not all the things that I just mentioned are wrong things to desire. They can even be good things. But notice I said the word ultimate. It is not the having of an abundance of money that is wrong. For God sovereignly grants that some have more money than others. He is the one who gives it. And it's not even the the saving of money which is the issue. It is the love of money. The greed. The covetousness. It is the excessive or inordinate striving after it which is evil. It is the excessive or inordinate striving after it which is evil. Or the excessive hoarding of it rather than using it for the good of others or the glory of God. The the hoarding of it rather than the using of it for the good of others and the glory of God. 
For who was it particularly that Jesus singled out that it would be hard for them to enter the kingdom of heaven? Intellectual people? Strong people? It was the rich. It was the rich who faced this particular temptation, as we all do. Matthew 19, Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's, it's, it's more difficult for any person to enter the kingdom of God. But here Jesus is specifically speaking about those who are rich. Why? It is because riches can be so deceitful. Because the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. Matthew 13 says, This is the deceitfulness of riches. It promises satisfaction. It promises more and more. But instead of bringing satisfaction, it brings nothingness. And in fact, all it brings is more greed, more desire for more money. So often... And Ecclesiastes 5 verse 10 says this, He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This is also vanity. And so we are to watch out. We are to, to be on guard against this. And I ask you, are you in love with, are you intoxicated with the things of this world, the stuff of this life? Does it distract you? For life does not consist in the abundance of possessions but in living for the glory of God is the glory of God your aim do you aim in everything your job your marriage your parenting whatever it is for the glory of God because when you aim for the glory of God as your highest pursuit everything falls into place under it so this is the greed condemned but let's have a look at verses 16 to 20, the greed illustrated. And as I read these, these five verses, verses 16 to 20, notice as I read this how many personal pronouns there are, how many I's there are, how many me's there are, how many my's there are. And you're going to get a picture of this greed. Verses 16 to 20. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say, I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Was it good that this man's ground produced a good crop? Yes. Was it wrong for him to tear down his smaller, inadequate barns and build bigger ones? No. It was a prudent thing to do. It was a wise thing to do if he didn't have enough space. In fact, it would be silly for him in some respects not to do it then why does Jesus condemn him? As we look at these verses, I'm going to 
pull out and, and draw out all these ways that this, this man earns that title of fool from God. Because Jesus condemns him. And as we draw these things out, I want you to see six interrelated things. And as I go through them, I want you to think, does your heart get drawn to these, any one of these things or more than one of these things in any way? Are there sins here that you need to repent of? For greed is so subtle. It touches on all these things. As Jesus said, be guard, uh, watch out for and guard against all kinds of greed. For indeed, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils, as the Bible says elsewhere. But firstly, we see his self-sufficiency or self-dependence. Usually things with self before them, so self-dependence, self-love, self-sufficiency, self-fulfillment. Everything often, uh, as far as I know, everything with self before it tends to be sinful because everything with self before it exalts self and tries to find in self what it should be finding in God. And you'll notice this as I read out with the number of personal pronouns. What shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns. I will store all my grain, my goods. This is what he's saying. Look at what my hands have done. My grain, my goods, my barns, my crops. My, my, mine. Me. The famous song by Frank Sinatra, uh, Frank Sinatra says, I did it my way. I did it my way. That's the whole song. And these, it has these lines in it. It says, and now the end is near. And so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear. He's not whispering it. I'll say it clear. I'll state my case of which I'm certain. I've lived a life that's full. I've traveled each and every highway. And more, much more than this, I did it my way. And this, if this is the final statement of your life when it comes to the, the final curtain, I did it my way. If you, if you stand before God and you say, I did it my way, what a pathetic life. What a pathetic life. It is no wonder God will cast those who say that into hell for all eternity. For they were always self-sufficient and self-dependent. Fools, not dependent on God and His mercy and His grace. Everything we have is from God. Everything. As John the Baptist said, no man can receive anything unless it is given to him from above. As Matthew Henry said, what we have is but lent us for our use. The property is still in God. We are but stewards of our Lord's goods. Do you manifest this self-dependence? Do you manifest this self-sufficiency? Do you always speak of you doing things without ever a reference for God? Do you treat everything you have? Your clothes, your house, your car, your job, your work, the fruit of your hands, the money that comes in, whatever it is. Do you treat everything as yours? Mine and not God's. This flows onto the second one. His lack of thankfulness and honor given to God. 
For indeed, the fruitfulness of the earth is a great blessing which Scripture picks up on. And, 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 and any good crop is from God. And God causes his, his rain to fall and His sun to shine on the, on the righteous and the wicked alike. And there are many instances in, in Scripture and in life where God gives wicked men an abundance for which, sadly, they do not thank Him for Romans 1 says that although mankind knows that there is a creator God, it is plainly shown to them. And that God has revealed his, his eternal power and divine nature in the things that have been made. So, so much so that they are without excuse, every single person on the final day. The Bible says they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. They did not see fit to acknowledge God. Rather, they exchange the truth about God for a lie and, and worship and serve the, the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. They don't want to acknowledge God. They don't honor him or give thanks to him. For this rich man's first thought was not to thank God or acknowledge God, but his care, his only care was what he would do with his crops. God had given him this bountiful harvest and all his good, the clothes on his back, the barns that he was going to build and the, the materials to make those barns, everything. And yet he did not thank God at all. 1 Thessalonians 5 says this, and, and do you want to know the will of God for you? Well, it says here in 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Colossians 3. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. We're to give thanks to God all the time, in every occasion, in every circumstance, in whatever we do. Brothers and sisters in Christ, this is every, this is, these are things that we must all grow in. And these are sins we must all repent of. Constantly. Well, number three and four, I'm putting those two together because they're so close in the passage. His presumption that his life would continue. His presumption, it's a sinful presumption, his presumption that his life would continue. And connected with this, his trust in money. Verse 19, the first part of it, and verse 20. I will say to my soul, I will say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Verse 20. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? He's called a fool by God. Why? Because it was too late. He thought he could do things without any thought to eternity. He did not number his days. James 4. James says this. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and, and spend a year there and, and, and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Proverbs 27.1 says, do not, borrow, uh, do not boast sorry, about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. What did this man say, this rich fool? 
He had plenty for many years to come. What does James call it? Arrogance. Boasting. A life is a mist and a vapor. In fact, God, it's not that God has to, has to actually kill us. He just has to stop taking away the life that he's constantly giving to us. God's verdict of this man? Fool. Fool. Psalm 39, verse 6. As was read out for us at the beginning of the service. Surely a man goes about us as a shadow. Surely for nothing they're in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. The writer of Ecclesiastes says the exact same thing. Sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who does not toil for it. So I ask you, have you lost sight of eternity? And the shortness of this life. Are you trying to build a life and a massive fortune, not realizing that you won't have it forever? Would this make you sad if you lost everything? For what profit is it if you gain the whole world but you lose your soul? What a loss! What a loss! You gain the, the nothingness like this rich poor fool did. <laughs> the rich poor fool. The rich fool who was actually poor. This rich fool, he gained the nothingness and the vanity of a passing world and he gave up the inestimable value, the value, sorry, the priceless value of the salvation of his soul. He gained nothing but vanity and lost his soul. But what gave this man security? For this, this man had a security. There's, there's something that, tr- he, that he trusted in. And we saw before that he had a self-dependence. He had a self-sufficiency, so he, he trusted in himself. But here we have his security was his money. His money, because his portion was this life, and he had no thought for eternity. Therefore, his money was his security. But for we who are saved, our security is in God. Our security is in God, for he transcends this life. God is our portion. Not only was this man self-dependent for making money, but he was dependent on riches for keeping him safe, for his security. And I don't know why we use this term, financial security. We use this term in in our culture, financial security. But in the Bible's view, there is no such thing. There is no such thing as financial security. There is wisdom in using our money. There is wisdom in saving, but our money is never secure. God can take away our money like that. He can take away our our lives at any moment. There is no such thing as financial security in this life. As the Bible says in 1 Timothy, never set your hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. And when you save money, for those of you who are working and you're saving money, save money, that is a good thing to do. It is a wise thing to do. But when you save that money, never trust in that money. When you save that money, never trust in that money to earn the thing that you're saving up for. If you're saving up to buy a house, never trust in that money to buy that house. You trust in God. 
you trust in God. Resolve that God is your portion. He is your inheritance, the one that you seek after, the one you please and the one you serve, not money. Christ is your treasure. He is the pearl, that one pearl of priceless value, of infinite price. And he never disappoints, for he keeps us safe and secure. This life, yes, but for all eternity. And he will raise us up on the last day. This man placed his security in something that was foolish. But we must place our security and our hope in God, in Christ Jesus. What's the fifth thing? This kind of greed was the man's worldliness. Second half of verse 19, it says this, Take life easy. And this, this flows out from this man's security in his money and his self-dependence and, and, and everything else we've just talked about. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. This man loved his stuff. He loved pleasure. He loved ease and comfort and merriment more than he loved God, whom he hated. Just like the other rich man in the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. Lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. We can and we should enjoy the good things in this life. They are good things from God. We can celebrate birthdays and marriages and everything else. But do you love it more than God? And I, and I hope you're seeing as I'm saying all these things, it's all about the, the priority of where you place things. Do you love those things more than God? Do you separate God from it and celebrate these things without a reference to God? You can eat, you can drink, and you can be merry. But if you do it to the neglect of God and celebrate it without reference to Him, it's sinful. It's sinful. It's exactly what this man did. And lastly, we see, sixth, his selfishness. He has no desire to use it for God's glory or to be generous towards his, his family or the poor. Well, who does receive it in this parable? Who receives this man's money? Because he has the money, but who does he give his money to? Notice there, it's his barns. His barns. His small barns and his bigger barns. Whatever it is, it's his barns. He's generous towards them. In his mind, it's his grain, his crops, his goods. Therefore, it is his to keep. Again, it's not wrong to save, but is it wrong to hoard at the expense of using your money for the sake of others and for the glory of God? You bet. And this is the last point that we come to, the greed replaced in verse 21. This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. And Jesus specifically here brings this last evil to mind. Selfish storing up for ourselves in our own strength, for our own gain, and for our own glory. The Bible elsewhere, in Jesus' own words, describes this as laying up treasures for yourself on this earth. Laying up treasures for yourself on this earth. And this, this parable is a perfect illustration of that. What's the antidote? And we've seen many kinds of greed brought out just before and, and different antidotes for them. Godly, biblical antidotes. But 
The one mentioned here, being rich towards God, has a very specific application, which I will touch on briefly um, as we close. Simply put, being rich towards God here in this context is seeking to honour God through works of mercy in generosity to others, particularly the poor. It is seeking to honour God through works of mercy in generosity to others, in particular the poor. If you have a look down at verses uh, 33 and 34 after this section, Jesus says, Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In Matthew 19, 21, speaking to the rich young ruler, Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell all that you possess and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Being rich towards God, specifically in this context, is shown through our kindness and our generosity to others. God's concern for the poor is evident throughout the whole of the scriptures. And as we use our money in being generous to others, particularly those in need, we are pleasing and we are honouring God. Selling your unnecessary possessions or using your excess money for the help of the poor, even donating things to others, shows how you view money and shows how you view God. And so the specific application at the end is Do good, be rich in good works, as the scripture says, be generous and ready to share, and you will be rich towards God. Seek opportunities in the church to help others out, as I see you you doing in various ways already. Help those in need in your family, whether it's a closer family or your extended family, or on the street when they ask you for money. Be rich towards God. As as the proverb says, he who uh, gives to the poor lends to the Lord. Do it with cheerfulness in your heart, for you're doing it for God. Do not store up treasures for yourself, but be rich towards God. But if you're listening to this sermon, if you're watching me, on Zoom, and you're outside the Lord Jesus Christ, then the Bible's witness against you is that you are a fool. You are a fool. If you trust in yourself or money to save you or to keep you safe on the day of eternity, you are a fool. If you give all glory and thanks to yourself and not God, the Bible says you are a fool. If you bank on this life continuing and not eternity and have no thought for eternity and for God, you are a fool. If you love this world and and, and love pleasure more than you love God, you are a fool. If you you selfishly hoard up everything you, you have, and you are not rich towards God, but you're rich towards yourself, then the Bible's statement to you is that you are a fool. But let me tell you of one who is the very wisdom of God, whom you may think is foolish. 
Because the very one who poured himself out is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says that though he was rich, he became for our sakes poor. That through his poverty, we might become rich. That though he was rich in divine glory and status and honor, with legions and legions of angels and saints praising him and giving him all the glory and honor. This is God the Son that we're talking about. Though he was rich, he became poor. He took on himself our human flesh and became poor and he suffered in this life. And he went to the cross and he experienced the poverty of spirit, the, 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 the depravity as it were, as sin was laid on him. He was not a sinner, but he took the sin of all who would trust in him. He became poor, infinitely poor as sin was placed on him. That through this poverty, we might become rich. Not in this life, but for all eternity, forever and ever and ever and ever. That we might inherit, not like this, this man, this foolish man who wanted to share his inheritance with his brother. No, so that we could have eternal life, that we could be heirs of eternal life. The Bible calls us, uh, those who are saved, it calls us co-heirs with Christ. And if you are outside the Lord Jesus Christ, all you have is this life. All you have is, is your material possessions, but all that is going to go up in smoke. It'll vanish like the dew does in the grass in the morning, and, and by midday it's gone. But the Lord Jesus Christ says, come Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. Are you tired of following after the things of this life? Are you tired after striving after money and desiring more and more things? Christ says, come, come. You may call Jesus a fool, but I would not want to be in your shoes on judgment day. Come to the Lord Jesus Christ. He calls you to be wise, not wise in your own eyes. Fear him. Turn away from evil to him. The Bible says that everyone who believes in him will never be put to shame. Let me pray. Gracious God, we thank you so much for giving us the most precious gift of all. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you for your generosity and your kindness in giving us the Lord Jesus Christ, in showering him as a gift of grace upon us, we who are undeserving. We thank you so much, Lord Jesus, that out of your humility you, you, you took upon yourself poverty, the poverty of our flesh and the poverty of, of your sacrificial death on the cross. That through your poverty, we might become rich. We thank you that even now, you've been exalted above every name. You've given, been given the title Lord, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. At your name, Lord Jesus, for you are exalted. You are rich, for you have been glorified by your Father in heaven.
We thank you, Lord Jesus. We pray, Lord Jesus, for any outside you who have not trusted in you, who are listening to this and watching this. Oh, Lord Jesus, please call them to yourself. Call them to yourself that they may turn away from being rich towards themselves and they may turn to you in faith and that they may live out that faith in every facet of their lives, being rich towards God. Oh, Lord Jesus, all for your glory and for your name.